And um, uh, maybe you've met a person that they thought that that was them. And they were right. As we'll see here in just a minute. But um, I know we've done it quite a bit this morning, but um, this is a pretty straightforward couple passages I, I want to share with you this morning. But uh, would you just join me in prayer uh, so that God's Word lands on our ears and that our ears are open and that our heart will receive it? Because the, the worst thing that happens in church is that we come and we sit and we don't do anything different when we leave. We, we are unaffected by what we just heard, and that's a shame because God's Word is powerful. So let's join together. Lord, we come as the body of Jesus Christ. We come as your children, as your bride, as your handiwork. Lord, you have handcrafted us. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God, I pray that you would open up our ears to not be distracted, that you would allow our eyes to see your word for what it means and that it's applied to me and to those around me. Your word is good word for us and to us, and it's supposed to go through us, Lord. So God, we just ask that you would allow this word to get planted deep into our heart to make a difference so that we become the image of Jesus Christ on this planet. We ask it in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Ephesians this morning, chapter 2 specifically. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read just 10 quick verses. Hopefully you've got that dialed up there someplace. And if you're wondering, uh, is the message for you this morning? God's Word says that it is for you this morning as we read just this first little bit. Look what He says. And you. That's you. That's me. And you He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, let's stop right there, and that's a fundamental truth that we've got to latch on to. Without Jesus Christ, even though we have life in us and breath in us and we're up walking around, our relationship between Him and us is dead. There is no way that we can come into the presence of a holy God, a God of righteousness, the Creator God of all the universe, that we as the creation bring our arrogance, our pride, our sin, our mess, our shame, and we think, hey, I'm good. There's no problem with me. I'm just doing what I do. I'm just me. And yet the Bible says the reality is you're dead. In God's eyes, you are dead to Him. And maybe somebody, hopefully playfully, has said that to you before you've done something to them, and they say, you're dead to me. And I'm glad that that doesn't stop right there. But we have to understand that sin separates us from God. Not only sin separates us from God, it separates us from other people. That's the nature of sin. Sin may be pleasurable for us. Sin may be enticing to us. Sin may be something that pulls us along. But I'm here to tell you that sin always separates us from God. And sin always separates us from the people around us. Sin just separates. Sin brings death. In, and the worst part is it's a long death. 
Then he moves along, and he's showing that you were dead, but I have made you alive. Notice this, in which you, that's you, you once walked, notice that it's past tense, right? So if you have received Jesus Christ, you are following Jesus Christ, there is a used to be you, and there's a now me. And that's good news. And notice what he says, you used to be like this, but now, since I've made you alive, now, since you're following me, now there's a change. And, and I've said this way too many times, but it bears repeating. If you say that you're saved, but you're still living the same life you used to live, you're not saved. No matter what you said, no matter what you prayed, if your life has not changed, if you're not following Jesus Christ, you're not saved. According to the Word. Not according to me or some judgmental pattern. Jesus just says, if you're not following me, you're not my follower. And that makes sense, doesn't it? What do you call fishermen that don't fish? What do you call followers that don't follow? And yet here he is saying, you want to be made alive? Follow me. Understand that your sin separates you and it's me that took care of this. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And this is just the reality. As we grow up, from the time you're about two years old, when you start to speak and have a will of your own, everything is about you. And if we're not careful, we take that into adulthood, and our whole life is based on what I want to do, when I want to do, who I want to do it with. And it doesn't matter what you say, and it doesn't matter what you think. I'm going to do me. And God says that only leads to one place. And you're walking according to the course of this world. Everybody around you is going to encourage you to do you. Everybody around you is not thinking about you. They're thinking about them. Everybody around you is engaged in their sin. That is the course of this world. It's not about you. It's done. They don't even care about you per se. It's about me. And he says that this is according to the prince of the power of the air. And this is a reference to really to Satan or the devil. And what he's saying here in essence is, you're walking in the way of your daddy. And your daddy was the devil. But I bought you from him. I have purchased you. I have redeemed you. I have ransomed you. I have rescued you. If you'll let me rescue you, I'll rescue you from walking that path, from being in the wrong family, from having the wrong daddy. I will rescue you. And notice what he says. This is a spirit who now works, and it's still working. We're seeing it more than ever before. This is why the church is more needed and more relevant than ever before. As disobedience and rebellion and darkness begins to come out, we should be like, hey, the Bible already told us that, and so His Word is true, and that's why we've got to do what He's called us to do. He says that this is what's working in in the what? The sons, you can say daughters there as well, of disobedience. Notice that. Now, nobody wants to deal with that word, but that's the reality. That's what sin produces in our life. It makes us disobedient. Sin always brings disobedience because there are absolute rights and there are absolute wrongs. And when you choose the wrong, that's disobedient. And the reality for us today is if we would understand that God is so good and God is so patient, because most of us don't put up with this with our children, 
You say, hey, Susie Mae, I want you to go clean your room. And that beautiful child that you have conceived and delivered and clothed and washed and bathed and fed, they look at you and say, yeah, I don't think so. And of course, you as a loving parent say, well, okay, that, that's your choice. I, I love you. Mom, I'm taking the card and I, uh, no, no, you're not. You, you've really had a bad attitude this week and you haven't done any of the chores you're supposed to do and I don't have to do what you say, I'm taking the car. How do you respond? Well, dear, that's a good choice. I'm, I'm glad that you're being a grown-up now and um, take the car. Or might there be a different scenario that happened when you did that with your parents and you as a parent had children that decided to exert their will, do you try your best to encourage that disobedience? Or do you say something like this, like my mom used to say, unless you want me to knock you into next Tuesday, you better watch your mouth. You don't get to talk to me like that. Who do you think you are? I mean, Right? We remind them, parent, child. (laughs) And this is what God is saying as well through Paul. Paul is speaking, saying, hey, you've got to understand, he has done something miraculous. He has done something supernatural. He's done something that we totally, fully can't understand, but we can't keep walking, living in disobedience, or there's going to be a price. And I don't want you to pay that price. And Paul didn't want you to pay that price. And God doesn't want you to pay that price. But that price is what he explained at the beginning. You will end up dead in your sin and your trespasses. And what's the difference? Trespasses means I stepped over the line. I knew it was there and I stepped over the line. I'm going to do it anyway. It's different when you don't know. But many times the stuff we do, we do know. And I'm going to do it anyway. But look what he says. Don't feel bad about it this morning, but hear the good truth. That the reality for our time is that without God, we walk, we live by a cultural standard, the course of this world, and it leads to disobedience, which means that we begin to align ourselves with God's enemy. We begin to align ourselves with the devil, Satan, however you refer to him, and we become something even worse as we go along. He says that we all conducted ourselves like this, following whatever our flesh wanted to do, what he calls the lust of the flesh. And, and don't get hung up on that word. Sometimes we hear lust in America and we think sex. Lust of our flesh is just your own desire. Something in us, uh, when, once we start developing hormones about 12, 13, sometimes it's getting, even getting lower and lower, that we get an attitude. And we begin to say stupid stuff that we don't think through because there's like lethal doses of hormones coursing through us. You know, you're not the boss of me. I'm an adult now. I can do what I want. Can you take me to the mall? Because I can't drive. We begin to pursue what our flesh wants, and then we fulfill 
the desires of the flesh and the mind, that vain, vain thinking that I can do it my way and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. And he says, and by doing this, we become not only sons of disobedience, we become children of wrath. Do you know what wrath is? Wrath is when extreme anger and violence is poured out. Wrath is like when anger has lost its mind. (laughs) Okay? Do you want the wrath of God poured out on your life? I don't want the wrath of God poured out on my life. I don't want it poured out on your life. And the Bible clearly says that it's being stored up. That's the the patience of God. It's being stored up. It's going to be poured out. But it's going to be poured out on certain people, on the sons of disobedience and on the children of wrath. Now, here's the kicker to this. This is not talking about those people in the world because they're not sons yet. Right? Right? Guess who he's talking about? Usins, wees, y'all. People that have been adopted into his family that are now sons and daughters of God. And when we disobey, guess what happens? We find ourselves on the side of a God that is willing to discipline. And maybe this messes with your theology. Well, I thought once I got saved that you've learned a wrong theology. God never overlooks disobedience. Never. He never blesses rebellion. Never. Yeah, but that one time, 20 years ago, I said that prayer. Yep. And God never blesses disobedience. God never rewards rebellion. He never can and he never will. And you begin to reap wrath, not because he doesn't love you, but because discipline is coming and you keep that up long enough and you're aligning yourself more with the world and with Satan than you are with Jesus Christ. And then it's your decision to stand there instead of being under his protection. He gives you this incredible opportunity. You just stay underneath me and you stay under the umbrella of my grace that we're going to talk about here in a minute and you will see how wonderful I can be. You want to mess around and be rebellious and disobedient and you keep pulling yourself out from underneath me, you're going to find out that it's not a very comfortable place to be. There are nature children of wrath just as the others. Now, the others are the people out there that haven't received Jesus Christ, that have had the opportunity, that chose a different path. That's the others. But he's talking about us, that we need to make sure that we've been made alive by him. Verse 4 is incredible. But God, all of this, oh my gosh, there's going to be punishment? I don't want punishment. But God, who is rich in mercy, right? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's pretty awesome. Now, I have found a universal truth. I don't know if you've experienced this too. But when I mess up, I want mercy. And when somebody else messes up, I want judgment. I want them to pay for what they did to me. But when I mess up, I want mercy. How about you? 
Because nobody in the world says, you know, I messed up. I deserve everything you're going to give me. They're like, hey, I made a mistake. Can you please forgive me? Uh, I didn't mean what I said. Nobody says, bring it on. Just sock it to me. I deserve everything that I did. Nobody thinks like that. But he says, because of his great love, he has rich mercy, great love, with which he loved us. Now notice as it started out as you, you, you. But as soon as God gets involved, it becomes us. And the you turns into we. He's all about bringing us together and keeping us from being isolated and individualistic and thinking, it doesn't matter what I do. It does matter what you do. It does matter what you believe. It does matter how you live. Because your life is going to impact those around you and as ambassadors of Christ, it's going to impact how people feel about God by watching how you live. And if we keep walking in the pattern of this world, we dishonor God. And it doesn't mean we're perfect. We, get to, we have to walk out of some stuff. That's where this important word grace comes in. That's where mercy kicks in. But He has loved us. Verse 5. Even when, look at this, we, even when we were dead in trespasses, He has made us alive. And notice that next word. Together. What was separating you from God and from others, now by the grace of God and His mercy, He is bringing you back together. He wants family. He wants everybody to be His kids. He wants to spare everybody from His wrath and His judgment. That's His fervent hope that He would come to seek and save the lost and all the world would be saved. That's what he, His heart beats for. But the problem is we think we can do what we want and have that. And the Bible is very clear that you can't. And some of you this morning are toying with that by your life so you're making little choices. And some of you this morning... You walked out of some stuff, and you felt the power of God, and you're walking in the right path, and you've gone back to some stuff that you know you shouldn't have went back to. And believe me, the grace of God is good. But remember what I said? He's not going to reward that disobedience. He's not going to reward that rebellion. And pretty soon you, by your action, not by God, you'll begin to separate yourself from your job, from your family, from your friends, from your money, from your life. Because you keep up sin and it will separate you. Pretty soon, it will just begin to dissolve relationships. It will begin to dissolve the things of your life that you never wanted it to. But because you keep acting on it, it separates. Sin separates. You want to lose your faith? Keep at it. You want to lose your family? Keep at it. You want to lose your job? Keep at it. You want to watch your kids dishonor you? Keep at it. You want to watch your bank account shrink to nothing? Keep at it. Or, allow God to be rich in mercy. (laughs) And allow His great love to overcome our incredible sin. You see, our sin is great, but His love is greater. (laughs) That's the wonder of God. But somehow we think that just because we got saved at some point, now I can go back to stuff that I know is clearly not what I'm supposed to do. In fact, stuff that I got saved out of, and now I start walking that path again, thinking me and God are okay. You're not okay. You're beginning to walk a different path. You're beginning to walk the course 
of the pattern of this world. And you can justify it, and you can have all these excuses and everything that you want to say, well, there's a reason, there's no good reason to disobey. The reality is it's sin. And yes, maybe you wanted it, and maybe you thought that, hey, I'm strong enough to go back to this. It's sin. You know where it leads. Wake up this morning to the fact that you know where it leads. I had to learn that the hard way. I I knew. I just didn't want to deal with it. But I'm telling you, sin only leads to a (laughs) cul-de-sac. And you get stuck there. And you loop around. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this is happening. And you've got to determine I'm not taking that road again. (laughs) I've been delivered from incredible stuff and stuff that I've had to walk out of, but I've never imagined from my mind, I think it's okay for me to walk in this again because me and God are good now. Why would He put me back in stuff that He delivered me out of? But some of us, we get off track. That's where His rich mercy comes in, that He didn't just strike you dead on the spot. (laughs) That's mercy, folks. And His great love saying, I want to redeem them. I, I can forgive them if they'll just come back to me. You keep separating and walking away, you're going to end up someplace you don't want to be at a time you don't want to receive it. He has made us alive together with Christ. Look at this. By grace, you have been saved. And, and I'm going to take just a little bit of time here because it's so important. Grace is twofold this morning. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's only because I love you that I haven't put you in the grave already. That's grace. But there's also a secondary part of grace that Paul speaks about a lot through the New Testament, which says, by the grace given to me, it's a strength to overcome sin. It's the strength to say, no, we have now been given the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We can say no to the pattern of the course of this world. And yes, it may still be whispering. It may still be right there in front of us. But God has given us the Holy Spirit to say no. That's grace as well. It's a strong power inside of us, the grace to say no. But we've watered down what grace means. Grace means that I do what I want and God just says, oh, you poor kid, hey, I'll take care of that. And that is a tragic excuse for what God's grace really is. God's grace doesn't mean do what you want and I'll just overlook it. That's the farthest thing from God's mind. He didn't overlook it. He died on a cross so that you and I could be free. He went to the grave for three days so that you and I wouldn't have to die. There was a payment. There was a penalty for death and sin, and He took care of it. But to water that down or dishonor it by saying, oh, it doesn't matter what I do, it matters what we do. It matters how we live. It matters how we think. It matters how we pray and praise. All of it matters because I've been given grace to be transformed into the Son of God. You can too. But that means we have to say no to some stuff. We have to stop walking in, this is just Tony's translation, walking in stupidity. Because, I mean, it's not stupid when you don't know. It's stupid when you do know. You know what I'm saying? Your wife or your husband agree. You're like, hey, uh, aren't we going to Portland? Yep. So why are you getting on I-5 North? Well, we'll get there. Yeah, you're stupid. Yeah, we'll, 
You know how long it's going to take for us to get there? (laughs) And you can keep telling yourself, hey, we'll get there eventually. But I'm telling you what, you keep heading north, it's going to be a long time before you get back to Portland. Oh, we'll get there. I got this. And you try and explain it away, but the reality is we should just slap you upside the head and say, you're stupid. Turn around. And that's what God is saying right here. Hey, I love you. You're stupid. Turn around. But I've got grace for you. But you keep doing that stupid stuff. It's leading you back to where you used to be. I'm not going to get crucified again. I'm not going to pour out my son again. You've got to make a decision. You're going to walk with me. And yes, we stumble and fall and we can get back up. That's grace. But we also at some point have to get a backbone and say, I'm not walking in that mess anymore. I know where it leads. I can't go there because I know it takes me away from God. I know it will hurt my wife or my husband. I know it's going to dishonor my kids. And they're going to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe... Why would we do that? Because sin separates. God makes us alive together. This is why we need each other. That when other people watch us walk, we can say, hey, you're being stupid again. Hopefully say it nicely, okay? But this is the breakdown that happens when we become individuals, especially in the house of God. Well, you know, it's not for me to say to that person. It is for me to say to you. You need to stop doing those drugs. You need to stop sleeping around. You need to stop stealing from your employer. You need to stop cheating on your spouse. You need to stop going to those sites, young man, young woman, and getting involved in stuff you should never be involved in. Because it will only lead you one place, and they'll be away from God, not closer to Him. And then when somebody comes along that wants to hold you accountable, you're going to resist and you're going to rebel. Or at worst, you say, hey, I've got this. I can handle this. And you can't. Nobody can. Do you want to be made alive? Or do you want to go back to death? He is rich in mercy. He has great love that overcomes our sin and our death to make us alive together so that we can experience grace. And that part where it says together, that means that the people beside you are a gift as well. They're there for you. And you're there for them. That we have to be close enough to each other that we can speak into each other's lives and pray with each other. And I would hope that if I went off track that somebody wouldn't just watch and say, well, yeah, looks like he's going off a cliff. I'll just let him keep going to Portland. He'll be, he'll be okay heading towards Seattle. He'll be all right. I would hope that somebody says, are you sure you know where you're going? I've got a loving wife that at times drives me batty in the car. But you know what? We always get to where we're going because I listen. But it wasn't always that way. Because our human mind, especially mine, I mean, you turn me loose in the woods, I'll make it back alive. I can do that. But you tell me that I've got to go left so that I can go right because that's how the freeway system works. I've got to go this way and loop all the way around. I'm not looking for left. I'm looking for right. She says, you've got to turn right. No, it says it's this way. Nope, you got it. And after many, many turnarounds and many, many discussions and many times they're calling me stupid. 
But can I tell you the truth? I like to drive. But there's times where I don't know where I'm going. And I wonder at times if she had fallen asleep where we might end up. (laughs) And early on in our marriage, as we were getting more and more involved in ministry, we were driving to a a ministry engagement to get some training, and it was foggy. And uh, I'm just driving. I'm pretty sure I know where we're going. And in fact, I even know where that building's at. But it's foggy. And she lets out a scream like a scalded cat. And I realized that since I didn't know what I was doing in the fog, I had turned right onto a two-lane oncoming traffic. Because the building's just right over there. I mean, why can't I just go right up the street and turn right there? Well, because you're heading into oncoming traffic, dummy. <laughs> Thank God no traffic was coming. Thank God. But do you know how many of those times we've been spared? Where we could have died? Where we could have been hurt? Where we could have ruined something permanently? And God's rich grace and His mercy has spared us. And we most of the time don't even realize it. And we don't stop and fall on our knees. Oh God, thank you. Thank you. Because in that moment, I wasn't saying thank you to God. I was like, man, I still get tired of her yelling at me. But now I'm thankful And she's right. That's the worst part. (laughs) Can I tell you this morning, God is right. He's right about you. He's right about me. That we have a tendency to walk our own path, that want to do our own thing. But if we can just settle the matter this morning that God is right, that when we read this word, it's about us and for us. It's not for some tribe, some place long ago that we didn't even know. This is for us. For today. For how we should live our lives. So here we go. Verses 6 through 10. We're going to whip through some of this, but here we go. And He raised us up. Look, you were down here separated, apart. And He raised us up. And there's that word again. Together. Notice that. He's raising us up together, and He's making us sit together. Where? In the course of the pattern of this world? Nope. In heavenly places. And that's not just talking about eternity. He's talking about places just like this, and then a lifestyle where we begin to imitate heaven, which is obedience to God and following His pattern. It's not just, oh, I just got to breeze through this life and try to make it into eternity. We've got something to do while we're here, folks. He's made us to sit, which is a, a position of authority. He took us out of a place where we're being run by the devil to a place where I'm going to lift you up. And you are under my authority. And you can have an awesome life. But as soon as you step out doing your own thing, remember, you're following your other father now. And that's not what I want for you. Notice that we're in Christ Jesus. We've got to stay under Christ Jesus. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, not just as you get older, but also into eternity, that He would show the exceeding riches of His grace. Now think about that. We just heard that He was rich in grace. It's the exceeding riches of His grace. We do this thing with our granddaughter where uh, we say, you know, does Mimi love you this much? No. Does Mimi love you this much? No. 
Does Mimi love you this much? Yay! That's the exceeding riches of it. It's beyond our reach, beyond our comprehension, beyond what we can understand. He has exceeding rich grace. What's that mean, Pastor? That means you can fall a thousand times and get back up. That means you can run as far as you can until you're tired of it and come back to Him. Without the pointy finger, without the shaking head of judgment, but the open arms that say, I'm so glad that you decided to come back. That's grace. But I can also tell you what you experience on that road away from Him is part of the punishment and part of the harsh reality of what happens outside the walk of Christ. Verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. And so my, my little illustration here, this understanding it's a big gift, folks. <laughs> and it's twofold. Not only the grace of God, which is the vertical grace, but the grace of God of the people around you. <laughs> we need each other. Part of the gift of God's grace is people in your life that will check on you, that will hold you accountable, that will pray for you, that will be Jesus with skin on, on this pattern. Now the question is, will you receive this grace? Or do you want to just lean on it? I think I can do what I want, and God's grace is going to be good. I think I can just treat anybody however I want, and, and I'll just lean on grace. It's an aberration. It's not what grace was meant for. See, grace wasn't meant for us to lean on. Grace was meant for us to be under. Because grace isn't a thing. Grace isn't a verb. Grace is a person, Jesus Christ. You have been saved by grace through faith. And not just faith in grace, but faith in the one who is grace. The difficulty that we face is God says we have to walk in that tension of grace and truth. I have grace for you, but the truth is you keep acting stupid, you're going to pay for some penalties. You're going to face some things that you wish you'd never face. And you don't get to blame it on me. You walked out from underneath grace. You left grace in the rearview mirror. You stepped out from underneath grace. And you think about it. If I turned it like this and it's raining, what happens now? Do I have coverage? How about now? Oh, but I thought there was grace. How about now? But there's grace. Yep, but you've got to stay under it. Some of us think we've got to stay behind it. <laughs> like grace is just going to keep us. No. His grace is for us. But it's submitting to it and keeping ourselves under His grace. And that grace that keeps us from doing what we know we shouldn't do. And the other side of the grace, which is, hey, dummy, 
I know you messed up. Come back. That part of grace too. But if you think you can just lean on grace, no matter what your world is going around, no matter what decisions you're making, you may find yourself in a very uncomfortable situation with God along the way. And I would hate for you to come face to face with God at the end of your days, living a life in full rebellion and disobedience and saying, God, there's grace. And he says, and there's truth. (laughs) And the truth is, you became a son of disobedience. You became a daughter of rebellion. Maybe that can click with your theology, but read sometime where it says that we're going to face God and He's going to separate goats. Notice that they're all before God and sheep. And the big difference that I always make between sheep and goats is this. Goats are always budding things. And these are the people that are going to say, but God. But God. But God. You guys just move over there. I don't want that for you. You don't want that for you. Grace, you've been saved. It's not of yourself. You can't attend enough. You can't give enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't earn it. It is the gift of God. Would you receive it this morning? Would you receive the grace that not only covers your sin, but will give you the strength to not walk in that mess anymore. Would you receive that gift this morning? It's a free gift. That's the awesome part. It's a free gift. Would you receive it? Because I know some people, you keep looking over your shoulder about your past and you're wondering what God... That's grace, my friend. There's grace for all your sin and He has covered it. But there's also grace, the strength not to keep going in that sin. Especially when He's pulled you out of that before. Verse 9, not of works. It's not about reading the Bible. It's not me. It's none of that. It's not what develops your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't work your way into it, or pretty soon you'll think, yeah, I'm a good person. And this is the thought process in the world. I'm not going to hell. I'm a good person. Well, everybody says that. I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as. That's based on your works, not Jesus' work. He's done the work. He's finished that for us on the cross. He has something bigger. Look at verse 10. We, together, we are His workmanship. Remember that. He's working on us. You're a work in progress. You haven't been perfected yet. Whew. That takes some of the pressure off, doesn't it? Yeah? But that also doesn't mean I get to act like I used to act. He's working on me for something. Look what he says. We're created in Christ Jesus. So outside of him, I can't be good workmanship. And I am created for what? Good works. Not stupidity. Not acts of sin. Not following my flesh. 
You've been created for an incredible mission, an incredible journey to make the world know me and appoint them to me. That's your job. That's the good work that you do. Wherever you are, as a pipe fitter, as a mom, as a teacher, as an electrician, as a sweeper of the streets, whoever you are, you have great work designed for you. Through Jesus Christ, 